0: So now let us hear what this holy God that we have been singing about this morning would say to us. You have your Bibles, come with me please to the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter of Paul's epistle to the Philippians. Philippians chapter four, and I'm reading from verse 10 through to verse 20. Philippians four, commencing to read at verse 10, and reading down to the end of verse 20. The apostle writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. I can do all things through him who strengthens me yet it was kind of you to share my trouble and you philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when i left macedonia no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only even the thessalonica you sent me help for my needs again and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you that you have given your word to us, that you have revealed yourself to us in it. We ask this morning once more that your spirit would illuminate our minds and our understanding, that we might hear from heaven your dwelling place, that we would hear what you would say to us, for you are the living God the God who is there and who is not silent. Father, we ask for your aid. We ask for your understanding. And Father, as we gather together to worship you, we we come bearing one another's burdens. We would pray for one another this morning. We would ask our Father for those who are sick, that you would sustain, that you would strengthen, that you would lay your healing hand upon them that you would give to them that grace which they need at this time. For those who are sorrowing, for those who experience grief, we ask, O God, you who are the God of all comfort, to be very close to them, that the fragrance of your presence will indeed sustain these ones in their weakness and their weeping. Be gracious unto them, we pray of you, For those that are serving you, we ask that you would equip them for everything good for doing your will. We pray for those who have simply left us to go to their programs this morning, these younger ones. Oh, Father, open their eyes, help them to see their need of you, and help them to see you and all your majesty, glory, greatness, mercy. Our Father, we look to you that you would continue to lead and guide us now. And we ask these things with the forgiveness of our sins, in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, Captain, my Captain, is a poem written by Walt Whitman in 1865 and popularized in that uh, 1989 movie dead Port's society and the words oh captain my captain are an exclamation of adoration for abraham lincoln and his victory in the war between the states sadly the the poem is one that moves from triumph to tragedy for it concludes with the assassination of Lincoln. In a similar way, the 23rd Sam begins with David's exclamation of admiration for Jehovah, heard in that sublime confession that commences the Sam. Jehovah is my shepherd. And if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I trust you do, come back with me to this portion that has been before us the last few Sundays. Unlike Whitman's poem, this Sam does not descend into tragedy, but actually ascends into triumph. And although this may sound a wee bit Irish to you, there is a sense in which Psalm 23 actually commences with the conclusion. What I mean is this. From verse 2 of the Psalm through to the 6th verse, David highlights seven features of being a safe, secure, and satisfied sheep. And who is responsible for the safety? Who's responsible for this sense of glorious satisfaction? Well, the answer is given in verse 1. It is Jehovah who is behind it all. And this is what Psalm 23 is really all about. It's, it's David. Looking back over his life, recalling the Lord's interventions in his life, in the midst of all those circumstances that had confronted him. So, Psalm 23 is about the Lord and David's testimony to him. And thus, my outline for this morning. Three little points. David's testimony to the Lord's faithfulness that sustained his heart. And David's testimony to the Lord's peacefulness that stilled his heart. And David's testimony to the Lord's contentedness that silenced his heart. to apply that to ourselves, I want you to consider with me, first of all, the Lord's faithfulness, which is designed to sustain our hearts. How do we define, how do we describe the Lord's faithfulness? Well, the Lord's faithfulness comes to us down, as it were, two roads. First, it's speaking of his unwavering fidelity to his promises. And secondly, his unchanging loyalty to his people his unwavering fidelity to his promises. He has given his word and he keeps his word and his unchanging loyalty to his people. He loves us and cares for us so that the Lord's faithfulness is behind his calling of us, his continuing with us, and his constant care for us and the Lord's faithfulness is thus illustrated by David in verse 2 of this 23rd psalm in these lovely words he makes me lie down in green pastures this is brought out for us by Kenneth Bailey in in his book Entitled The Good Shepherd, A Thousand Year Journey from Sam 23 to the New Testament. And Bailey writes this A dog can be trained to sit down and lie down, but not a sheep. A well known proverb affirms you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. In like manner, says Billy, no one can make a sheep lie down. Sheep will only lie down when they have had plenty to eat and have quenched their thirst. So, David's words He lets me lie down. Words that are a testimony to the Lord's faithfulness in caring for his sheep and in providing for his sheep. Because you see, the shepherd, the shepherd was no vagabond, uh, a wandering harp and flute carrying minstrel. No, no, a shepherd needed to have the skills of a geographer, a meteorologist, an agriculturalist, a security guard, a veterinarian, and a carer. They needed to know where nourishment and water could be found. They needed to know where danger lurked. They needed to know the times and the seasons. They needed to know these things In order to prove themselves to be a faithful shepherd. A shepherd like unto our Lord. Because surely Jesus, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, is such to us today. His faithfulness is great and the scripture says it reaches even to the heavens. When after a storm passes, what do we see but a rainbow? And so the pledge of God's faithfulness to his promise their way back in Genesis nine. George Matheson was a 19th century Scot whose poor eyesight failed him during his university days, leaving him totally blind. He graduated from university despite this handicap, and eventually, Matheson became a minister in the Free Church of Scotland. In 1882, he wrote a hymn which I'm sure many of you will know this morning, Oh, Love, that will not let me go. We're not sure what moved him to write this hymn, but it has been suggested that it was the result of a a, a crushing disappointment in love. A woman to whom he was deeply attached refused finally to marry him because of his blindness. And it may have been that terrible impact on his life that gives such wit to the opening words of that hymn, O love that will not let me go. Wherever the cause, my point is this, in most hymn books, and I'm sure when you have sung it together, The third verse goes like this. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be. However, Matheson actually originally wrote this. Oh, joy that seeketh me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I climb the rainbow through the rain. And what's the difference between the two images? Our hymn book says, I trace the rainbow through the rain. But he originally said, I climb the rainbow through the rain. Well, the difference to Matheson was this. When a storm is around, you can sit secure in the comfort of your lounge room and you can look out your window and all your safety and security and dryness, you can look out through your window and you can trace the rainbow. But when you're outside, When you're experiencing what it is to be caught in a dreadful storm. And the rainbow comes. It's not a mere image, but it's something real. It's as real as divine faithfulness. Something to hold on to as the waters rise. Matheson saw himself that night in the dark night of despair, groping for something to hold on to and finding the rainbow. He saw the sign of God's faithfulness and he clung to that. He held on to the rainbow because it was the sign of the faithfulness of God. I was interested in reading the prayer of Jonah, in Jonah chapter 2, and in that prayer he says this, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I wonder what we're clinging on to this morning. What are we holding on to? To deliver us, to lead us, to satisfy us, to secure us? You see, my friends, as God's sheep, as his people, we have a reality to cling to. We have something wonderful to hold on to something to lean a whole wit upon the Lord's faithfulness. As the hymn writer put it, when all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. He makes me lie down, the Lord's faithfulness is designed to sustain our hearts, even during stormy days. But then let me add to that, secondly, the Lord's peacefulness is designed to safeguard our hearts. You see, everything the shepherd did, he did for the good, for the benefit, for the well-being of his sheep. So what did the sheep experience? Well, the product of their shepherd's proficiency was their peace. The words of verse 2 again. But now the second part of the verse. He leads me. Beside still waters. Now, there are two little thoughts that we can glean from these words. The first is this. What's being spoken of here is a, a procession. A procession. He leads me beside still waters. You know, in one of my first lectures to students at the Kompong Som Bible School in Cambodia many years ago, I tried to illustrate a point by referring to the role of a shepherd with his sheep. And yet, as I was speaking and seeking to illustrate the point to the students, it, it became obvious to me that my illustration seemed to be falling on deaf ears. Which, by the way, you know, preachers... Preachers know who's listening to them in the congregation. Preachers know who's with them and who's not. But anyway, after the lecture, I found out why my illustration had failed. A very simple reason, showing the absolute stupidity of myself. The reason they didn't understand? They don't have sheep in Cambodia. (laughs) Simple as that. No sheep in Cambodia. They have goats and they have cows and they have water buffalo but no sheep. So what was it they didn't understand? Well this. Goats, cows, water buffaloes are driven from behind. Sheep are led from the front. Our faithful shepherd always goes ahead of us. He is our quality control manager. Everything has to go through him, first of all. That's why Paul says there's no temptation, there's no test taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who won't test you beyond your ability because he knows us. He is aware of us. He's acquainted with it. He knows the very number of hairs on our head. He will never overwhelm us. It always goes through him and his grace is always sufficient. It's a procession. He leads me beside still waters, a possession, a possession. He leads us by waters for rest, a place of peace and quiet rest, and such is the Lord's doing. Because my friends, what, what is the foundation of our peace? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Since we have been justified by faith, we have possession, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The doctrine of justification by faith alone. And what is that? Justification is when God declares us, declares us to be righteous in his sight. Now understand this. He doesn't make us righteous. But he declares us righteous on the basis of the imputed righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. There is none righteous. No, not one, except one. Christ the Lord, the righteous one, says Isaiah. And in associated with him, in trusting in him and having faith in him, he becomes our righteousness. Again, to quote the hymn writer, Jesus, your blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. Our unrighteousness, as it were, is covered by the garment of Christ's righteousness. You remember the story of Mephibosheth there in 2 Samuel 9, Jonathan's son. David says, I I wanted is there anybody I can show goodness to? And so Mephibosheth comes. And he's described to us. He's crippled in both feet. David says, you will dine at the king's table every day. And, and there's a lovely illustration, and I don't want to push it too far because it's more of a, a Western thought than an Eastern thought, but the picture of this Mephibosheth pulling his chair up beside the table of the king. And the table, with all its furnishing supplies, covers his crippled feet. As he sits at the table he looks just like everyone else and we're the same we're covered by the garment of Christ's righteousness and that's what the father sees when he looks at us we have is what has been described as an alien righteousness it's not our own it's the Lord our righteousness, and that is the foundation of our peace. And the fact of our peace, because what does Paul say? He says we have peace with God. The war is over. We have now been reconciled, says Paul, by the cross work of Christ. We have a peace which is personal, and a peace which is perfect, and a peace which is perpetual. And what, is it, what does it look like? Well, we all, do we not, continue to struggle with our sins? We, we, we know, do we not, that we, you know, we ought to live better lives than we do, beloved. To serve our Lord more devotedly, to love him more deeply, to obey him more dearly. We, we all stumble in so many ways. You know I couldn't help but think. I think it was a couple of Sundays ago. The final hymn is talking about. you know, I will take a stand on the Bible. I will do this. I will do that. I will do something else. And I thought to myself. Wonderful uh, 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 confessions as it were. But unfortunately not true. Because we don't stand. We feel dearly. Our God. We stumble in so many ways, but what's the apostle saying to us here? How can we have peace? Well, every sin we commit, be it a sin of omission or commission, has already been dealt with at Calvary. We cannot, this is the amazing, mysterious, marvelous, merciful thing, beloved. We cannot sin ourselves out of the circle of God's grace. Hallelujah. We cannot, as it were, sin ourselves out of God's family. And because, let, let me reverse it this way until you come to a point in your christian life where where you where you're tempted to say shall we continue in sin that grace may abound until you get to that point where thinking well i can do this i can do that because the blood of christ will cleanse me from all sin until you virtually get to that point you haven't grasped the enormity of what christ has done for you at calvary and the love that it is shown to us, and the liberty he gained for us. And we don't sin freely without the sense of guilt that drives us to Christ. Do you know, guilt is the gift that keeps on giving, because it keeps on giving us Christ, because it drives us to him, our only hope. Horatius Spafford put it this way didn't he my sin oh the, the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole was nailed to his cross and i bear it no more praise the lord praise the lord o oh my soul friends Our acceptance by God and our access to God and our peace with God rests entirely, utterly, completely on the shepherd's person and work and not ours. Which means to us this morning that we will never be more pleasing to God or more acceptable to God than we are this very moment. You see, sometimes we get this idea, oh, yes, I believe salvation by faith alone. I believe you only have to trust in Jesus. But then you better be good. You'll never get to heaven. Sorry, folks, I gave up trying to be good years ago. No, no, no. We have a peace because of the perfect righteousness of Christ which has been imputed to us, put to our account. And we are as acceptable to God and pleasing to God now as we'll ever be because we're in Christ, who is alone our righteousness. Our shepherd leads us to a place of quiet rest He gives us a peace that stills our hearts and guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, which is what the Apostle Paul himself said in Philippians 4-7. That peace which passes understanding guard your heart and your mind. What a joy to know that Jesus loves me perfectly happily and is leading me home. The Lord's faithfulness is designed to sustain our hearts and the Lord's peacefulness is designed to safeguard our hearts and thus thirdly and finally the Lord's contentedness is designed to silence our hearts. Because what, what is the picture being presented in Psalm 23 and verse 2? It's of gracious Contentedness. Lie down, rest, satisfied. Thomas Watson, that English nonconformist Puritan preacher and author, once preached on the Good Shepherd, and he described the sheep this way. Watson declared, a sheep is a very contented creature. It will feed upon any pasture the shepherd puts it. They will feed upon the little they pick up in the fallow ground, a perfect emblem of true saints who are the sheep of Christ. Let God put them in whatever pasture they will, or he will rather, and they will be content. Untitled this morning's address, What They Didn't Teach You at School. What didn't they teach you at school? Well, I enjoyed my day at school. But what what they didn't teach was this. Philippians 4.11, I have learned, said the apostle, that in whatever situation I am in, to be content. Contentedness is a subject to be taught and it is a lesson to be learned. So let me finish up this morning, guide, by giving you my crash course on contentedness. Three little things and I'm done. The first is this, to be content, get your focus right. Get your focus right. Fix your eyes upon Jesus and not yourself. For every time you look at yourself to examine yourself, which is good and well-being, because we need to do so when we come to the Lord's table. But for every one time you look at yourself and become disgusted because you sin so frequently and you sin so freely, for every time you look at yourself, look ten times at Jesus to see the perfect Savior, your Savior and mine, our perfect righteousness. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. What do we sing at Christmas time? He rules the world with truth and grace. My friends, this is a cruel and a chaotic world in which we live. Wars and rumors of wars. But let me tell you a secret. When I got up this morning, and actually when you got up this morning, guess what? The Lord... Was still on the throne. This is still our Father's world. He is still working out his purposes for his glory and our good. His will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Get your focus right or else you will be overwhelmed with anxiety. Lift up your eyes, my friends. Lift up your eyes. He's still reigning and ruling over all. Secondly, get your facts right. Get your facts right. What facts? Well, if I may... Be so bold as to try and paraphrase Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones's seven points into single sentences. Let, them give me, let me give them to you as this. Number one, quickly, as conditions are always changing, don't depend upon them. Number two, what matters supremely is our relationship with God. Thirdly, nothing happens to me apart from God, my Heavenly Father, ordering. And directing. Fourthly, and there's, there's a hymn that I, I, I think we'll sing one Sunday, "Whatever my God ordains is right, is right. Five, every situation is designed to teach me more about God and if you want proof of that look at the life of Joseph or Paul with his thorn in the flesh. Every situation is designed to teach me something more about God number six every circumstance and condition is God's way of preparing me for glory and number seven whatever my condition there's a favorite phrase in the Bible a wonderful phrase in the Bible comforting phrase in the Bible and it simply goes like this and it came to pass And it came to pass. Beloved, whatever our conditions and situations, it will come to pass. And they can never rob me of the joy and glory of ultimately being with Christ forever and ever. These are the truths, the facts we need to learn and apply dearly if we're to experience and enjoy the Lord's contentedness. And so thirdly, get your fifth right. Get your fifth right. A good friend of mine, Dr. Robert Rayburn tells the story of James Woodrow. Woodrow was a Scottish covenanter of the 17th century. He was a man who suffered for his faith, including, at one point, the death of one of his sons. And that death broke his heart. But he knew some things. He knew that his son's death was no accident, no meaningless misfortune. He knew he couldn't fathom the the depths of God's infinite wisdom. But he knew that his father loved him. And knew that one day he would be with his son who was a believer. And someday they would love together again. And love each other again. And love God together again. And that's Paul's secret of contentment. The after effect of placing our faith in Christ. And looking up to our Heavenly Father. Confident of his love confident of his perfect care for us in all things, in all things. That he is faithful in keeping his promises. He is faithful in caring for his people, confident of his love, confident of his perfect care. And knowing that and believing that, my friends, is the contentment of the truest, the highest, the purest, and the most indestructible kind. To walk through each day, no matter what that day holds, but to walk through it knowing that Jesus loves me. And this I know because the Bible tells me so. Be content with what you have, says the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Be content with what you have. Well, what do we have? Well, he answers. He said to me, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? His assured presence, His assured provision, His assured protection, His assured presence. The Lord's contentment designed to silence our hearts. Is it yours? Do you know these things? Do you know these things personally? Do you know them experientially? Or let me put it like this. Is the Lord of whom we have been singing and speaking this morning? Is he yours? Is he yours this morning? And if not, what on earth are you waiting for? What idol are you clinging to when there is the God of all creation and the God of all glory saying to you this morning, come, come and be at peace. Come and know contentedness. Come and know what it means to lie down in green pasture. And be led by quiet waters. Faithfulness, peacefulness, contentedness. My dear friends, they're only found in one place. They're only found in one name. They're only found in one shepherd. They're only found in one Lord, Jesus Christ. So why don't you look to him and trust in him this day? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your tender care. We thank you for your great mercies to us. You know that we're foolish sheep, wandering sheep. Tend to wander. Lord, I feel it. Tend to leave the God I love. Oh, my God, here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Comfort our hearts challenge our hearts but draw us nearer nearer blessed lord to yourself that you will be our joy our delight our satisfaction our peace our contentedness hear us help us in jesus name amen amen